Tell me, do you bleed? This is Best of the Rest, the show where we take a second look at superhero movies that were poorly received upon release, but only talk about the things we like and what the movie does well. It's sometimes a challenge, but always a good time, and this week we are talking Batman v Superman, Dawn of Justice. My name is Chris Logan, and I am joined as always by my very own super friend, Andrew Williams, you ready to talk some BVS, Andrew? I am, yes. 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 You like, that was the most wholesome title I've given you so far. I hope you appreciated that. Yeah, that's very nice. Thank you. I, this movie, if it was called, look, okay, we're going to dive into all the positives of this movie and everything it does well and everything that we like, but just up front, one thing that could have improved this movie for me, just a quick change to the title, Batman v Superman, Dawn of Super Friends. It would have been, been, nice. been nice. Would have been nice. Very wholesome. Nice. <laughs> this is this is a this is a big episode. This is one that we've obviously had on our schedule since we started this thing. We knew it would come around to it. Like we talked about a little bit already on our Man of Steel episode, the DCEU. It has its ups and downs. I think nobody can deny that. But the Zack Snyder movies specifically, most of them, just black and white critically receptions are are negative. But they definitely have their defenders, and if you go online, there's certainly people that are quick to trash them, but there's plenty of people that passionately defend them as well. So it's a little bit different than some of the movies that we covered that are more universally panned. These movies have their fans. They do. It's been a very interesting, just seeing this, because this is obviously, you and I watched this universe unfold in real time, basically. We saw Man of Steel be announced, BVS to Justice League. We've, we watched all of that, and I vividly remember all of it happening. And this movie was, it. yeah, it definitely split audiences and created a bit of a turning point for Warner Brothers when they were trying to figure out where to go from here. I think they were expecting this movie to be a certain thing that it didn't end up being. But ultimately, that results in some really interesting developments that you really haven't seen in film at large with stuff like the Snyder Cut. But that's obviously a a larger conversation for another day but needless to say a um an interesting moment in superhero cinema yes now like we say every episode if there is a comic book movie that you like that was poorly received upon release we want to know about it send us an email best of the rest pod at gmail.com let us know your favorite performance the best scene why you like it and when we cover that movie we will read your email on the episode you could also just jump into our Discord. There's an invite in the episode description and let us know your thoughts there. We did get an email about Man of Steel, which we have already covered. That episode's been out, so the email came after we recorded that. But we're covering the sequel to that movie today, so I'm going to go ahead and read those thoughts that were sent to us. Because, like we said, there are passionate defenders, and I think this email comes from one of those passionate fans. So this email comes from Jeff from Minnesota. Greetings, comic book nerds and movie geeks. I love the show and appreciate seeing the positive discussion about these genre films. While they may not all be masterpieces, I'd be sad to see the comic book genre fade away from the silver screen. Now, Man of Steel. <laughs> he says, you have decided to review my favorite DCEU movie made, as well as my favorite Superman film. 
First, I'll put my two cents in for the Mark Strong Award. I believe that Michael Shannon's General Zod's performance was the best in the film. Hell yes, Jeff. 100%. While I appreciate every actor, all the scenes with Michael Shannon lead my attention to his performance. His gravitas overwhelmed anything else. He wrote that, not me. Uh, Much like the world engine. How he spoke with emphatic purpose and held your attention through quiet mystery and fear of his physical and charismatic power. I agree 100%, Jeff. My favorite scene of the film is much more difficult. I will name three just to narrow things down despite having so many more. My three in ascending order from lesser to best are the helicopter leaving the oil rig and Superman catching the collapsing structure. Very cool scene. Yep. Superman overcoming the world engine while being beneath it. And finally, Superman violating his rule and killing Zod with his bare hands. When Kal-El had to, in a split moment, decide to personally end the last of his race, it was heart-wrenching. You could point out plenty of other moments, but when you see this scene, it is Zod and Kal-El left as the last two of their race. The Genesis Chamber destroyed, Kal-El and Zod must battle to the end, and Zod is left without purpose, so without any reservations. Zod attempts to kill innocent humans with his heat vision, and Kal-El must stop him. He snaps his neck and kneels down, screaming in rage and pain at his choice. I'm not much of a crier, so to say this one makes me misty-eyed means enough. The feels created with him, Lois coming to his aid, and their embrace is amazing. Yeah, that is my favorite scene. The film is an amazing chance to see Superman beyond his cape and imagine him as a fallible human choosing the best course of action and not always being a perfect idol as comics try to maintain that perfect image. Love the podcast. Keep up the good work. We certainly will, Jeff. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for your email. Uh, Very passionate email. Obviously very passionate about that movie. We love seeing emails like that because... Again, most movies we cover, the general consensus is pretty negative, but we know there's passionate defenders because every movie has something to enjoy, right? Some are going to enjoy it a little bit more than others, and we love hearing from you. So again, thanks for the email. Anyone else, there's movies that you think we're going to cover? Send us that email. If you already covered the movie, like Man of Steel, send it in anyway. We will read it on a future episode. But enough about that one. Let's move on to the sequel, BVS, Batman v superman are you supposed to say batman v superman or does the v represent versus should we be saying versus i don't even know i think it's batman v superman i think that's definitely the intended the intended title obviously you're like it sounds more like a legal brief um with batman (laughs) v superman but um yeah i've always heard it as batman v superman if this was a legal drama, that would that would be it. I would watch that. <laughs> I don't watch Kal-El and Bruce Wayne in a courtroom trying to argue which superhero is better for the people of this of the world. Sure. Sure, why not? That's not the movie we got. That's not the movie that we are talking about today. And by the way, whenever we do talk about this movie, we have a long discussion of this film coming up. And, Andrew, we got a special guest joining us on the episode. Do we? We certainly do. Thompson Conradi will be joining us for the breakdown of this movie, and Thompson, Andrew, they work in the industry. They work in visual effects, and they worked on Batman v Superman. That's pretty awesome. Pretty awesome indeed. So I'm excited to hear some of their inside scoops, learn how some of these shots were done, because 
we've been baffled by visual effects many times on the show, so it'll be nice to have an expert join us and just, in general, share their thoughts on the movie as well. Agreed. BVS was released March 25th, 2016. Kind of an interesting release date. I, I, you think of this, you know, superhero summer blockbuster. March is a little early. That's, that's Kicking off the summer would be a generous way to put it. It used to be like June and July, like school's out. Those are the big movies. And then like, uh, you know, uh, April and May started creeping in. But but March, that's pretty early. Well, I, it was. And I remember when it was initially announced, I think it was in May. And I think the I think the what ended up happening is it sounded like Captain America Civil War was going to go head to head with it. Basically, you had Batman v Superman and Captain America Civil War that were supposed to come out, I think mid to late may it was the year of superheroes fighting each other yep and ultimately i think dc was the one that was like you know what so marvel's got the track record marvel's got the history let's bump it up early make sure that there's no conflict make sure that we and you know like you said at that point they're quote unquote starting off the summer so the movie had a very large budget. The higher estimations have it at $300 million. At the box office, it makes $873 million. Critically, however, just a 29% on Rotten Tomatoes. Andrew, are you surprised by that score? Just the fact that as high budget, high profile this movie is, it's kind of nuts. The only Batman movie lower than that, Batman and Robin. It definitely shocked me because I, I, I came out of Man of Steel being a pretty big fan of it. Um, we've talked about this and was pretty hyped for this when it was coming out, like against <laughs> what a lot of people were telling me. But when those reviews started coming in, it was very, I was shocked because I was like, I, I may not have expected, you know, like an 80s, 90s, but the fact that it was so low was genuinely shocking. And I think that definitely affects the box office. Eight hundred seventy-three million is by no means nothing, but that's less than a lot of other superhero movies that don't feature the two most popular superheroes on the planet. Right, right. So that reception is definitely one of the things people point to when it comes to the movie basically collapsing after that opening weekend. Yeah, it's definitely an interesting. The analytics are very interesting to look at for just really how much this movie just seemed to just, it blew up out of the gate, made a ton of money, and then just collapsed. Um, yeah, I saw it that opening night. I don't think I really had an idea of what the critical recession was when I saw it. I, Despite not being Zack Snyder's biggest fan and not being super hot on Man of Steel at the time, it's Batman. Batman's my guy. I allowed myself to yeah. get a little hyped about this. I mean, I remember that first image they released of the bat suit and the Frank Miller symbol and the Batmobile that actually kind of looks like a Batmobile. I was like, I can get on board with this. This is pretty cool. And then that teaser, that Comic-Con teaser with that line at the beginning of this episode, tell me, do you bleed? And you've got the kind of the face off and that's kind of all they showed you. Like, I was like, that's that's pretty cool. I mean, even though the idea of Batman and Superman fighting isn't inherently interesting to me, it happens yeah, occasionally yeah. in the comics. Usually one of them is like under mind control or whatever. I don't really see it as like a classic thing. But regardless, I mean, like the two most popular superheroes in the world facing off in each other, or at the very least being in the same movie is inherently a big deal. I remember yeah. seeing... Uh, 
what's that Will Smith movie called? Uh, I Am Legend in theaters, and famously in you know New York City, that's you know the not too distant future. It's been overrun by foliage and stuff, and kind of going back to nature in the post-apocalyptic world. There is a billboard with a Batman and Superman logo on it, kind of hinting at not this movie specifically, but the fact that Warner Brothers was working their way towards a Batman Superman team up movie, and yeah, it was finally here. Well, yeah, and this is something that we've heard Warner Brothers talk about wanting for a very long time. There is, uh, it's their Dark Phoenix. <laughs> yeah, it's it's except they never got to make it once. <laughs> this isn't yeah. the second shot either. They like as far back as in the aftermath of Batman and Robin for the so for almost twenty years, you essentially heard stories about the idea of Batman and Superman. I remember there's a couple of different scripts floating around out there. I read one by the guy who wrote Seven. I remember at one point, I remember thinking, hearing Josh Hartnett was going to be Superman. I think Wolfgang Peterson was going to direct. So, like, a lot of stuff happened with a lot of different versions, and then ultimately they went in a different direction. So, but yeah, the idea of a team-up with Batman and Superman has been something that Warner Brothers has wanted for a very long time. And they, like I said, they finally got to it. The movie is written by David S. Goyer. Who we've talked about him before. No, no stranger, stranger to, to the show. No stranger to the show. No stranger to the comic book movies in general. That's almost his entire career. Now, there's also a writing creditless movie by Chris Terrio. Technically, he rewrote Goyer's script. Chris Terrio, yes. most known for his script for Argo, I would say, maybe at least critically, his most successful movie. Uh, kind of sporadic with his credits, but mostly pretty high profile stuff, mostly involving Ben Affleck. Yeah, it does Argo, and I think Terrio coming on board to this after Affleck got involved is not a coincidence. I think, um, obviously, Affleck and Terrio made a lot of waves with Argo. Argo won an Academy Award for Best Adapted Screenplay. Um, and I remember when he got announced for this, I thought that was... Because, you know, again, I, I too, have not always been the biggest fan of how David Goyer approaches things. But hearing that somebody like Terrio from Argo was going to be coming on board, I only saw that as a good thing. And since then, he's had a few other credits, a lot of high-profile stuff, certainly getting his name out there. But yeah, I remember announcing him for this, and I was like, can't go wrong with this guy. Yeah, he was in line to do the, the Ben Affleck solo Batman movie before that was ultimately postponed indefinitely, whatever the, the official status of that movie is. But he was set to write that as well, but unlikely that ever gets seen. I believe that became Pattinson's The Batman. I believe that's what ultimately happens to it. Like it's 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 a project that started as a Ben Affleck written and directed solo Batman movie and became a Batman reboot written and directed and starring completely different people. <laughs> what is that that uh, that ship that is referenced by Vision at the end of of WandaVision where you replace oh, all the, the planks? Ship of Theseus. Yeah, yeah, it reminds me of that. <laughs> yeah. Is it still is it still a Batman movie if we've replaced everything about it? Um, the movie, of course, directed by Zack Snyder, and we've talked about him before as well, of course, on a Man of Steel episode. Don't need to go through his whole filmography again. All you need to know is he directs three kinds of movies, comic books, zombies, or owls. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> this, I mean, by far his 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 biggest movie. I mean, Man of Steel oh, is a big oh, deal. Yeah. It's a flagship superhero movie, but... To be at the helm of something this large, uh, the cornerstone of the universe that are launching is a pretty big deal. It's, I mean, it's the first live action on screen meeting of Batman and Superman in a film ever. 
like this is this is unprecedented it's it's something people had wanted since the success of the MCU obviously avengers completely changes the game and presents this notion that the idea of different superheroes sharing a universe and coming in and out of each other's films is not just possible but can be a success but it is interesting to look back and see that this was something considered by D- Warner Brothers even before the MCU, the idea of a Batman-Superman movie. And it would have been interesting to see what that could have become. To see if, you know, if we had a successful Batman-Superman movie in the year 2000, does that lead to what we see now as the shared universe? Who knows? But um, obviously, I, 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 this is, I would argue, even more high-profile than Justice League at the same time. Because... This to me is the peak, and Justice League. Once you once you handle Batman and Superman together, yeah. the Justice League I see is still a big deal, but it's not. You're you're over the the toughest part. Sure. So yeah. to be in charge of this is a huge deal, and to really, in a way, set the tone for the whole universe, which is makes this a stark difference to the MCU. And I know that's one of the things that people genuinely kind of point out as a as a success of it is that this is a filmmaker-driven universe as opposed to, like, a producer-driven universe. Um, now, obviously, you can, you can argue the, the merits of that as a different conversation, but Zack Snyder gets to come in and essentially build this entire thing. Not to mention, I mean, this is a, a, a big deal. It peaks here. You got Batman and Superman, but you got Wonder Woman in this movie as well, which we haven't talked about yet. She's not in the title, but she was in the trailers. I mean, it wasn't a surprise that this was right. setting the entire universe up. And then ultimately, with the finished film, the entirety of the Justice League appears here in some form. So by the time it's all said and done, he really has built the whole thing. Andrew, I think it's time to bring on our guest and talk about this movie. You think so? I think so. Let's do it. 18 months after the events of Man of Steel, Superman has become something of a controversial figure. This is exasperated when he is framed for the killing of several men in Africa after rescuing Lois Lane. One of Superman's biggest critics is Bruce Wayne, who holds the superhero responsible for the destruction caused during his fight with Zod and believes a man with his abilities will only lead to a darker future for the world. Meanwhile, eccentric businessman Lex Luthor devises his own plans to sideline the Man of Steel and kidnaps Clark Kent's adoptive mother Martha and vows the only way she will be released is if Superman kills Batman. As a backup plan, Lex also created a doomsday monster in the ruins of Zod's Kryptonian ship. Now Superman and Batman must team up to face the creature with help from another new ally named Wonder Woman. What a story we have here, guys. Huh? <laughs> little dense, That's a right? That's dense one. Granted, can't there's imagine, a... can't believe how you did that so quickly. <laughs> it's a lot shorter than two and a half hours, which is how long the movie takes to tell that story, or three hours if you watch that extended version. Guilty. Now, we, we've got an extra voice here. Andrew, there's someone in the BOTR studio with us by the name of Thompson Conradi. Welcome to the show, Thompson. Hey, thanks, guys. Glad to be here. Glad to have you here. Now, tell us a little bit about why you're here, <laughs> specifically on Batman versus Superman. You've got a little bit of a connection with this movie. Yeah, for sure. I do uh, visual effects for TV and film. Um, I've worked on several superhero movies, TV shows, and whatnot. And one of those happens to be the vaulted Batman versus Superman. Um, I did several 
um, scenes for a company that does mainly UI integration for movies and whatnot, uh, computer screens and HUDs and whatnot uh, for stuff like that. So we worked extensively on some of the uh, the Batman Batcave interfaces and computers uh, in this movie. That is super cool. I I love visual effects in movies. I mean, I love movies overall, but I'm always trying to figure out how things were done. I watch a lot of the behind the scenes stuff and I'm sure you can put me to shame, of course, because you work in the industry, but <laughs> I love having somebody with some expertise on this episode after Andrew and I have embarrassed ourselves a number of times trying to guess at how some of this stuff was done. So I look forward to hearing some of your uh, expertise. And yeah, you and I met in like a online community and you casually mentioned what you do for work. And then I, I messaged you and I was like, hey, just curious. Have you ever worked on a superhero movie that was poorly received? And right away, you're like, oh, I did Batman vs. Superman. <laughs> like, you knew right away, like, <laughs> I hope I'd be interested in yeah. this one. <laughs> it came to yeah. mind. Uh, yeah, Winter Soldier wouldn't fit that bill, so I skipped over that one. But yeah, oh, Batman vs. Superman rat, rat. would definitely be the worst. And also worked on uh, um, some of Iron Fist <laughs> Season 2. So. You know, if we ever get around the TV shows, we may talk <laughs> about some Iron Fist. <laughs> that was the bottom of the barrel for sure. I, I hope you don't have to go there. <laughs> <laughs> it would. The whole point of this show is to be a challenge. That would certainly be a challenge. Now, Thompson, of course, you should know this. This is the hashtag Positivity Podcast. We only focus on the positive. So even though Batman or Superman may not have the best reputation with people, our goal today is to dig in, dig deep, and just talk about what works in this movie. You ready to do that with us? Oh, definitely. I'm a huge Zack Snyder fan back when this came out, so I was looking forward to this. So having to go back and to find all the things that I did actually enjoy and remembering like the wonderful feelings I had of Zack Snyder at the beginning of his career was actually, was an interesting trip to take down a uh, memory lane. So I had a lot of fun with it. Also awesome. working on it, I get a little bit of bias in there for sure. So. <laughs> sure. <laughs> First thing I want to do is talk about the cast of this movie and what we like to do is start at the high point, at the top, at the best casting and best performance in the movie. And we award that person the Mark Strong Award. We're looking for someone who goes above and beyond the Call of Duty to elevate the quality of the entire movie. Andrew, let's start with you. Who gets your Mark Strong Award for Batman v Superman? This may be a bit of a left field pick, but I'm actually going with Jeremy Irons as Alfred for my Mark Strong award. Because I love I, it. That's fantastic. I think he gets probably one of the more interesting dynamics with Bruce Wayne Batman that we've gotten in these films, and that he's a lot more, I guess, sassy. Like he just like he doesn't have a problem <laughs> calling out Bruce on his crap and like kind of pushing back against him. And even as it gets a little bit more serious, he he pushes back against his whole fixation on on killing Superman. So it's it's a really cool dynamic that does continue through to Justice League. But just every scene they had together, those were some of my favorites in the whole movie. So not a huge part, but Jeremy Irons is Alfred. That's what gets it for me. I hope on set at some time, Zack Snyder told Jeremy Irons, be sassy, be more sassy. I hope that's the direction <laughs> that he gave him. The direction, yeah. Yeah, I uh, completely agree. He was 100% my Mark Strong uh, award coming in as well. So I can't, Oh, you're, you agree? He, two, so he's getting two Mark Strong awards? That was, Fantastic. I, I've got it written down right here. Mark Strong <laughs> award, Jeremy Irons. Just knocked it out of the park. Alfred is normally just like a vanilla blah character in the background. Or they overplay it like Michael Caine in the uh, Dark Knight movies, I feel like, was 
too like pushy and too annoying like my <laughs> amazing but also like just shut up dude like too much and this and jeremy irons was very like he didn't take crap but like he was like in there he was flying the drones he was like helping hack stuff he was like helping with plans he was integral to a lot of the actions that batman was taking you could tell that like they had a relationship that was very strong and that like the backs you know they really leaned into that like dark background of this particular batman where like you know the, you have the killing joke with like robin um foreshadowed in there that happened and you know like they allude to like him beating the joker and all this stuff that's dark in the comic books and then like alfred really like puts that forward of like the guy who's been there through all of that and is like seeing all this change and trying to like bring him back to like a a be a better person but also is like in there with him in the and understands it and gets it you know and is there to help and really pull for this guy the whole time without being like overly showy about it you know and jeremy iron sells that attitude and sells the the like part and he's stoic but he's also like fun at the same time which is a very hard dynamic to pull off and he just nails yes. it you know yeah no i totally agree there's a lot of different ways you can do alfred like the 90s movies he's kind of just a butler that happens to know bruce wayne as batman and then the the dark knight in nolan's movies he's more of like a moral compass for him and he always has like a prepared speech and tells him the right thing to help him get through it and in, in this version, he's much more hands-on with the Batman stuff, like doing the missions and being like command control. He's almost like part Alfred, part Robin, part Oracle, part everything in Batman's support system. And yeah, Jeremy Irons is great. I mean, it's it's probably not the first person would have came to mind when I thought about it casting a new Alfred. But once you see it, especially with this iteration of Batman, it works very well. Definitely one of the movie's strengths. Yeah, it's... It's it's an interesting uh, it's an interesting approach for me too because there's a weariness to Bruce Wayne throughout this movie obviously just having been Batman for so long but there's this completely different kind of weariness to Alfred like these are both like we mentioned they've both been doing this for so long but they both have very seemingly different attitudes about the fact they've been doing it for so long and I think that's another great uh aspect of it there yeah, for sure. I can't believe y'all y'all both picked Jeremy Irons. It's so awesome. The Mark <laughs> Strong Award very small. Like his screen time when I was watching it this time, I was very surprised how little actual screen time he got for how big of an impact in my mind he made in the movie. Because like he was a very big part of what I saw in the movie in my head. And when I was rewatching, I was like, oh, he's only got like three or four little scenes scattered throughout. Sometimes just on the headphones, even. So he really pulled like a huge you know, gravitas for what little he was given. <laughs> hey, you know? we love that word, gravitas. We, it's kind of like when we watched uh, Daredevil, Andrew, and like Michael Clark Duncan, you think back on it, like, oh yeah, Kingpin, he's like the big, the big bad. And then you watch it and his screen time is pretty limited. So, you know, the Mark Strong Award, it's not always about screen time. It's not always about having the biggest effect on the plot. Sometimes it's just elevating you know, when you're given a small role, a relatively small role, and you make it that memorable, you elevate that role that you're given, that goes a long way towards the Mark Strong Award. And in the same vein, I'm giving my Mark Strong Award to Lawrence Fishburne as Perry White, because I nice. love this performance. And Perry White is is, is never, he's not even like a... He's a supporting character, sure, but not even, like, the B-list character in the movie. He's usually, like, C or D. Like, the Reeve Superman movies, he's, he doesn't make an impact really in any of them, kind of in four. He's just a character that's there. 
But whenever Lawrence Fishburne is playing him, like, you notice. Like, he makes, when he's on screen, he's the star of the movie, even no matter how small the scenes are. He is always quipping, always funny. I love his flippant attitude. Uh, Quick, quick down thing about the performance, and it's not Lawrence Fishburne's fault. But he has this line where he says, crime wave in Gotham. In other news, water, wet. And it's very funny in the movie, but like after this movie came out, I saw everyone using that joke, water wet, very sarcastically online, and it it annoyed the hell out of me. So I got to hold him a little bit responsible <laughs> for that. But otherwise, I mean, the man looks good in a suit. <laughs> he he looks the part. Uh, he he's funny. It's great. It's Perry he's White good. is never a character I would have thought of casting Lawrence Fishburne or someone so high profile, but. When you see it, he elevates that role tremendously. Oh yeah, he's got some great interactions with the planet staff. Those, he's, I think he's got a little bit more interactions with people here than he does in Man of Steel. But yeah, I agree. He's his performance is great. The the lines he has, I like when Lois wants to go to DC. She's like, "Give me give me a flight to DC in three days," and he's like, "All right." Coach, and she keeps trying to upgrade it, and he keeps just screaming back, "Coach!" <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no leg room. <laughs> Yeah, I remember you guys talking about uh, Perry White in the BVS episode, in the uh, Man of Steel episode, and how like it was a surprise cast. I never really thought about it like that, but yeah, it's he does really good with what little he has, kind of in a Jeremy Irons way, like where it's like you remember Perry White, right? You don't, but like I don't know why I remember him. He really was very inconsequential on ninety percent of the movie, and like his part could have easily been written out, and the movie would have been exactly the same. But, like, just because of how strong Perry, like, Lawrence Fishburne is, like, it became a character that you did care about. And, like, you see, they give him a little bit of an emotional arc throughout the movie where, like, he does care. He's like, get her a chopper, you know, get her over there. Like, you know, he's, like, there. And it kind of echoes at the beginning with the Wayne Industries with the James guy who, like, you know, stayed in the building at the beginning when the whole, uh, that amazing sequence yeah. at the beginning of this movie where you're seeing the the fight from Man of Steel. Uh, from the ground and Wayne is talking to the boss there and he's like a good boss dude and you know he's really like caring for the employees and you see that come out again in uh, the Perry White character towards the end of the movie so it was an interesting like back and forth with you know good boss dudes that these people work for that's how we know it's fiction Um, yeah (laughs) (laughs) I'm not gonna pretend to know what an editor-in-chief does on a day-to-day basis but Judging by this movie, their job is to make headlines. He just walks through the bullpen and like shouts out headlines, and then the journalists just write a story. I guess one I wrote a few of them down. One of them, he's like, uh, "End of love affair with man and sky?" Question mark. And then I guess one of the reporters <laughs> just writes a story based on that. Yeah, sure. that's <laughs> not at all what editors in chief do in any form or fashion. But it's funny to hear Lawrence Fishburne say that stuff. It's great. And I love that he was so concerned about. Uh, one of the things that he kept pushing, which was a very interesting little t- uh, thread throughout the movie, is the uh, he kept wanting them to cover the football game between Gotham yeah. <laughs> and Metropolis. And, like, there's this whole thread of that. And he does a lot of this work is where, like, there's this uh, rivalry between Gotham and Metropolis in this movie that's, like, comes and goes throughout. And he has a lot of lines that lend it, like the you were saying with the Gotham crime in Gotham, water is wet. You know, it's yeah. very, like, they look down on Gotham and the Gotham, like, thinks of Metropolis as, like, the, the rich cousin or whatever, you know, that they like, resent or whatnot. So there's, like, this yeah. funny back and forth and he really drives a lot of that 
narrative with his like headlines and talks of articles and whatnot. Now, Ben Affleck is in this movie, guys. Not just Jeremy Irons and Lawrence Fishburne, but Ben Affleck plays Bruce Wayne slash Batman. This casting was a huge deal because the person who plays Batman is always big news. But when it was announced to be Ben Affleck, most of the internet was not on board, I think it's safe to say. Lots of jokes about Daredevil and Batfleck became like a derogatory term. But I will say, I think he silenced most of those critics with his performance. I like him as Batman. I really like him as Bruce Wayne. I think he shines a little bit more uh, as as Bruce Wayne. I think he's got the look. He, he Again, all these guys just look good in a suit. He looks good in a suit. I like the hair. I like that the gray comes through a little bit because this is definitely a Batman later in his career. There's obviously a lot of parallels between uh, the Frank Miller Batman of The Dark Knight Returns, which Ben Affleck is not nearly that old, but with the symbol and the suit that they gave him, they're definitely drawing those parallels between like an older, rugged, been through the ringer Bruce Wayne, and I think he plays it very well. He does. I, I remember, because, and like you said, the casting was this big controversy, if that's the word we're going to use, because not just are you looking at Ben Affleck, who's got his own history, this is the person that has to follow Christian Bale's Batman at this point. So not just are you taking over the role of Batman, you're taking it over from somebody who has pretty much given the character his cinematic peak. So to have to follow that up is a big deal. And I remember there were other names thrown about. I remember Josh Brolin was one I heard more than a few times was thrown out for it, who's got his own kind of before Thanos, his own Rocky history of comic book movies. But um, both were kind of on a resurgent path where people had kind of reevaluated them and real, and they both had a string of hits. But yeah, Affleck was coming off Argo. He was coming off some pretty heavy, um, some pretty well-received films. So he was on the rise. And like I said, it was definitely not without its controversies. But I think if you're going to point to something in this movie that's an issue, I certainly don't think it's him. Uh, and I'll, I'll uh, get the hot take out of the way right now. Ben Affleck's my second favorite Batman all time in this movie. Nice. Hey, there you um, go. I I think the the biggest problem superhero movies have, uh, I don't know if you guys have like come to this conclusion watching all of these um questionable superhero movies. The the issue for me is that the folk too much focus on the superhero aspect and not a, enough focus on like the the conflict of a person having to try to live a normal life while being a superhero. That's what I think the problem with all the Superman movies lately has been. You're not focusing on Clark Kent. Superman, impervious super being, not interesting. Clark Kent, impervious super being, trying to pretend to be a normal human, that's interesting. And that's what made the old Supermans with Margot Ritter and uh, Christopher Reeves so interesting was, it was the focus on that. And then the Christian Bell performances, like, they literally just talk about throwing away um, the Bruce Wayne persona the whole time. They're like, he doesn't do it. He goes out to dinner one time and puts some models in a fountain and then that's that and that's it. But in this movie, like, you really see a lot of Bruce Wayne, and, Bat and it's really well done, and it adds a lot to the character, I feel like, of him having to interact with people on a face-to-face -face basis as Bruce Wayne. I feel like he's Bruce Wayne more than he's Batman in this movie, and I think it really lends a lot to the role and gives you, like, that well-rounded Batman experience that we've missed during the Nolan movies, which were gorgeous cinematic masterpieces in their own right but i didn't particularly enjoy the batman character in those movies because i felt like it was too focused on like 
the Batman aspect and not focus on like the philanthropy and the like the dual life of being like a well-known you know millionaire in this town and also like a well-known crime fighter and having to like keep those lives separate you know yeah i mean that's like the character of spider-man like his entire appeal is trying to live a life as peter parker and as spider-man so yeah you can get a lot of mileage out of that story and that's a good point i mean ben affleck has played a lot of shades to the character that'll play of course batman of course and then he's got bruce wayne like his human side and Bruce Wayne, the performance, like when he's at Lex Luthor's party, he's, you know, acting drunk and trying to throw people off of trail so they don't know that he's actually there to steal stuff from Lex's computer. Uh, he gets a <laughs> Ben Affleck plays a drunk guy very well, <laughs> very well. Uh, I'll, I'll leave all the jokes aside there, but a lot of different shades of the character. So, yeah, he, he gets a lot to do. I don't think it's that hot of a take to be your second favorite, but I got to ask now who's your favorite Batman? Oh, Keaton, all day. Yes! Yeah. <laughs> Keaton, 100%. Keaton, Ben Affleck. Um, I don't think you can really count the Adam West-style Batman into the whole thing. I know a lot of people like to try to drag the 60s one in, but it's so distinct and different. It's own thing, yeah. I think you can group them with the Joel Schumacher Batman because they're so similar in tone as far as like the cheesy, like fun 50s Dick Tracy-style Batman kind of thing. But otherwise, like it has nothing to do with the Batman of like the 90s. It's you hard know, to say that Adam on, West yeah. was playing the same character that Ben Affleck's playing. Exactly. Ben Affleck is playing so here. I, I get that. I mean, I don't think you can really. It would be sure disingenuous to lump him into the other groups with that. So, but yeah, I would say Keaton, Batman, um, Bale. That's okay. know, we love Michael Keaton's podcast. We've established that he's the greatest actor of all time. Uh, <laughs> Michael Shannon is also the greatest actor of all time, though. We, we get I've that, noticed that. We get that award out a lot. <laughs> Henry Cavill. <laughs> returns as clark kent slash superman honestly not getting as much to do here as he did in man of steel which i guess makes sense that was his solo movie but i feel like he kind of gets sidelined a little bit by ben affleck in this movie and batman but overall the biggest thing i the biggest takeaway i had with henry cavill after watching man of steel was like he has the look the dude looks like superman Obviously, that hasn't changed. We, we, he, the man looks unreal with that body that he has and uh, the chiseled jaw and everything. And um, it's good. I mean, we got to emphasize, I guess, more that like this is like a different take on Superman. It's definitely not the classic it's, Superman, the Reeve Superman. It's definitely not. We get a little bit more. We're playing on that kind of moral quandary that Superman finds himself in where he has to ask himself, am I doing more harm than good? Um, that's kind of the the balance that he's trying to determine in this film that leads to him kind of going on this weird moment where he kind of leaves being Superman and has meets up with Kevin Costner in the mountains um, and has yeah. this kind of realization that he needs to come back. But yeah, we're definitely looking at a different Superman. Um, and he, like I said, he does he gets a little bit to do. Like he obviously has the subplot where he's like investigating like Batman, and that's part of the thing that Perry keeps getting mad at him for is he wants to go after Batman. And not report on the football game, but Perry keeps telling him to stick to football. <laughs> what is it with with Superman, where everybody wants to talk to him about football, and they get mad when he doesn't want to talk about? He got called. I might believe this. He got called d- Flash for not watching the football game in Man of Steel, and now Perry yeah. White is like <laughs> right about football. 
And like, everyone's <laughs> well, he's not a sports reporter. In what world is Clark Kent's character sports reporter? You have a sports reporter for that kind of stuff. You don't throw your like in the field reporter like Clark Kent into that. It's just that was such a weird, it's weird. again, just yeah. pumping up the whole like Gotham versus Metropolis thread. And then also yeah. it got him a reason to be interested in Gotham as well. Yeah. You know, during that and I think they were supposed to tease um what's his name? Uh from the Justice League, the robot dude. Cyborg. Cyborg. Like, I think he was supposed to kind of be teased in that football sequence, but then they pulled it back at the last minute because, like, that's his character was the football player, you know, right. for, for them. So I think it was supposed to be teased and that kind of pulled back so that plot line kind of fell flat, you know, yeah. in that yeah. way. But they just, left yeah, it in because weird, there was so much. a weird thing to keep getting mad at him for. Yeah, for sure. And um, I think he it does a great performance here for somebody with so few lines. He he does a lot of like as a as joey on friends would say smell the fart acting where like <laughs> yeah he's just there when something happens and then has to make a face that like responds that like when when congress blows up and like yeah. he's just standing there in the fire just looking like just tired of all of this crap and like everything's burning around him he's just like looking up like you know, like, yeah. he gives that look so well um, in that. And they do a good job of making him feel scary, you know, because part of this movie is, like, you both sides have, like, good reason to distrust the other. Batman more than Superman. It felt a little manufactured in that way, of course. But, like, you know, they made Superman look very scary. Like, when he rescues Lois Lane and she, like, puts her hands down, and he just, like, plows through that guy before he can pull the trigger, like, five walls deep into the building it's like a scary moment like yeah. the, the the quickness at which like he moves and the way they show it really shows the impact and like so there's a lot of those moments in this movie where like you see him as like a, a threat almost you know if you were the bad guy and they do he does a really good job of pulling off like he's superman he's like this good guy but like they make it he makes you feel scared because of how powerful he is you know which is right. the point so there, he does a really a, good job of putting that across there's a lot of times where he just hovers in the air and just like lets people stare at him like during a montage where he's rescuing people which i ultimately like the montage but there's a moment where like there's a big flood and there's people standing on their roofs and they're excited because he's there to save them and it's a really long shot of him just floating in the air <laughs> you're kind of like all right go go get him <laughs> like yeah, the wife. something oh. <laughs> yeah. but it's it's funny you mentioned that uh that that capital explosion because i had the same thing like i i, I get what he's going for with that reaction but it does kind of look like he's just sick of it like the, i wrote down capital explosion superman's like god damn <laughs> like, <laughs> it's like the only thing like, again like his performance is just like Mondays, but I, <laughs> I feel like they made it a point not to give him a lot of lines. Like when he rescues Lois Lane, he doesn't say a word. He shows up because they have to the wall. He, he doesn't say anything, which is kind of strange for Superman. Again, different take. Amy Adams returns as Lois Lane, and again, we've talked about most people in Man of Steel, but I love Amy Adams. She's one of the best out there. A little bit less to do here than in Man of Steel. The script. It makes a few um, attempts to keep her involved in the story throughout. She's even there, like, in the final fight of the movie. She's got a side plot trying to figure out who set up Superman in that rescue scene uh, at the beginning of the movie in Africa. So she gets a little bit of investigative reporting to do. But what can you say? It's Amy Adams. Yeah, 
Amy Adams. Yeah. She gets one of the best actors this. in the business. I agree. She's mad. And her plot does like let you it's hard to uh follow this plot in the movie and her character's really good at kind of got like breadcrumbing you through like oh this is what's happening without having to just like spell it out. You yeah. Know? Right. So and she does a good job of that. And the bathtub scene with her and uh Clark Kent is they that's a really like sweet moment and an otherwise emotionless you know uh void in the middle there and that uh, they were like really good together like good chemistry in that little scene which oh, yeah. nice. i was about to say what what about this what about this bathtub scene thompson where, where are you going with this <laughs> yeah it's yeah it's a very sweet moment between them and she does a good job of like you know being that emotional rock for superman to like bring him back to like positivity about humanity and hope and whatnot so jesse eisenberg plays Lex Luthor, or Lex Luthor Jr., they kind of imply. Maybe it's not the classic Lex Luthor we think of, but his name is Lex Luthor. He's the villain of the movie. He's meant to be Superman's arch nemesis, and boy, talk about a different take on a character. He is certainly making some choices. Hashtag Positivity Podcast. I'm just going to mind you guys of that. Andrew, what do you think about Jesse Eisenberg in this movie? Why you got to do that? Why you got to throw it on me? Why you got to put me in the spot? Now, um, obviously, he's playing this in a much more manic way. There is a lot of kind of, um, kind of like a hyper energy to him. Like he's he's always kind of talking. He's always moving his hands. Not quite Zuckerberg. I think even Zuckerberg is a little bit more reserved than this. <laughs> yeah. But um, with this, he's re- it's that high energy. It and that making him so much younger looking than like Bruce or even Superman. It's it's an interesting choice. It it obviously sets the character apart because you've obviously got some big comparisons to people like Gene Hackman or even somebody like Clancy Brown from the television from the animated series in the 90s. So, if you're going to go in a different direction, that seems to be the way they go here. They are looking for like I said, getting that manic energy in there. And I think as far as how they're playing the character, I think Eisenberg is running with it. I think he's obviously kind of having a good time, but obviously this is not your classic Lex Luthor, and I know that this is obviously another kind of point of contention amongst this film. Yeah, uh, I I think, you know, Jesse Eisenberg, great actor, awesome. I mean, you know, Social Network, easily the Mark Strong Award winner in a movie full of great performances, and I really like him in The Squid and the Whale. It's legitimately one of my favorite movies, probably, and the dude is just great. He always has sort of a neurotic, manic, uncomfortable in my own skin energy, so obviously that's what they wanted. That's what you get when you cast Jesse Eisenberg, mm-hmm. and I... I <laughs> I will mind myself, hashtag Puttivy Podcast. I think it works really well sometimes. I guess what they're going for is that like Luke, Lex Luthor isn't the type of villain to beat you with his muscles. He beats you with his mind, so he's not imposing physically. But I really like the scene at his house at that party where he's like giving this speech and he's like rambling and everybody is like, What the hell are you talking about, dude? Like he can't connect with anybody on like a emotional human level. And I think that really feeds into him hating Superman, who is a perfect human being. So I think that is seeded really well. I'm not going to tell you that I think every scene with him works, but I would point to that one as I can kind of see the dynamic they're going for between Superman and Lex Luthor. 
I really enjoyed his performance in this. I know a lot of people like came away hating um, his character, and I'm I'm not going to speak to the writing and the lack of motivations and you know the 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 gaps there. But he was I felt he played it well. Um, it's like if Zuckerberg Zuckerberg and Woody Allen had a kid and he became a supervillain, <laughs> not the worst idea in history. Um, but it's. He plays it really well. He keeps up that energy, which I can't imagine was easy to do. He plays so, like in that speech, he's He was just eating Jolly Ranchers on set the whole time. That's what got the sugar I love that Jolly Rancher scene so much. I know everybody (laughs) hated it. It was so, I just like the balls to do that scene is so great. And to pull it off so well is awesome. Um, The guy who took the Jolly Rancher really deserves like a micro Mark Strong. (laughs) I hope he got a bonus for that. That performance. Um, Micro Mark Strong. I love it. Just like (laughs) taking the Jolly Rancher to his lips like so perfectly. Um, But the philanthropy (laughs) speech was great because it showed like how distracted he was and how little he cared about the actual event and how he really just wanted to put those two people together in a room and see what happens when you put them together in the room. And so he didn't care about the speech. He was just kind of like, oh, I have to talk to these people for a minute. I don't care about any of this. I wanted to get Clark Kent and uh, Bruce Wayne in the room together. And that's, that's the reason we're here, you know. So. I, I love he says, I think it's the party. He says, ahoy, hoy, I did not know you were here. He says, ahoy, hoy, which I associate with the Simpsons and, and Mr. Burns, how he answers the phone. That is how when Alexander Graham Bell invented the telephone, he thought that there should be a unique way for people to say hello. And he wanted it to be ahoy, hoy. So the joke in The Simpsons is that Mr. Burns is so old, he remembers that. So he says ahoy, hoy. And in this movie, I don't know why Lex Luthor says ahoy, hoy. But it's very funny. Can only assume he's a Simpsons fan. That must be oh, it. Oh, God. <laughs> he only likes Simpsons after season nine. That's that's his villain. <laughs> that's that's like, his villain. He's like season nine's where it really started to take off for me. I, I love he's got a lot of lines, especially at that party where he's almost breaking the fourth wall, saying things like Clark Clint and Bruce Wayne meeting at last, which that's what this movie is, those two characters finally right, meeting. Yeah. And then he shakes Clark Kent's hand, he's like, quite a grip, do not pick a fight with this guy. Yeah. A little yeah, on the nose, like, but it's fun. He he said something specific like a meeting of Titans or something like that. It, it was just very on the nose and obvious, and it was like it was really like him like slinging it around a little bit in the space, <laughs> yeah. and I really like that because Superman. That's obviously the scene Superman figures out who Batman is, but Batman doesn't. You know, Bruce Wayne doesn't realize that Clark Kent is Superman. He doesn't care. He's doing his own thing, but then Superman figures it out by being able to hear Alfred talk to him over the headphones, and so that's an interesting moment where it's like one person gets like the leg up. Diane Lane returns as Martha Kent. Again, of course, just by nature of the story, the roles reduced a little bit from her previous outing, but still wonderful. It's still Diane Lane. The character leans a little bit more into that Paul Kent, you know, the world doesn't deserve you. You don't have to be Superman. She tells Superman, you don't owe this world anything, which... How many times can I say it? This is a different take on these characters. Yeah. So the dynamic there's a little bit different. But obviously she loves her son. She just, all she cares about is her son. She wants her son to be protected. She sees Clark Kent as her baby boy. And not as the rest of the world sees him as this godly character. Um, and she, she plays, it's Diane Lane. I mean, she, of course Stein she Lane. does a good job. What more can yeah. you say? Yeah. The, the only thing she really gets to do is that scene where she's like 
scared of getting lit on fire by the blowtorch guy for whatever reason. <laughs> and then Batman like rescues her. He's like, it's okay. I'm a friend of your son's. And she's like, I, I figured the cape, the cape. You yeah. know, like, it's like, she really like nails that like little scene, yeah. Yeah. you know, Holly hunters in this movie as June Finch, a U uh, S Senator from Kentucky. She's in about half the movie before getting blown away. But I love Holly Hunter. I love every Holly time Hunter's I fantastic. see her. She's yeah. She's, she's fantastic. No stranger to the superhero world, obviously. And uh, I, man, I love Raising Arizona. I watched that recently with a uh, with friend of the show, my wife. And she, I mean, man, Andrew, Raising Arizona, Nicholas Cage, Holly Hunter, who gets the Mark Strong Award? Oh, don't do that to me. <laughs> don't do that to me. I... It's, it's a toss-up. I wouldn't argue with anybody who goes either direction. I'm going to say Holly Hunter right now because uh, I love this woman. I think she does a good job here. It's funny. It's... I, I, this is going to be a little bit of a backhanded compliment to another character in the movie, but I kind of find her more intimidating than Lex Luthor. <laughs> like, whenever they're talking to each other, like, I would be more scared of Holly Hunter being mad at me. She, she, yeah, she plays can, the politician very that. well. Yes, she plays, uh, she's like, she, she, because she's put in this weird position of being like that government figure that has to be wary of Superman, and I think uh, she does a good job here. Um, she's, like I said, she's in a good chunk of this movie in the first half of it and is kind of given a lot of really interesting scenes and a lot of really interesting moments where she gets to stand like toe to toe with Lex Luthor. And like I said, I, I think she comes out at least in those. she doesn't ultimately come out as the winner. But in those scenes, like you said, she's almost the more intimidating one. I, she's amazing in this. I hated her so much watching this again <laughs> this time. Um, with the political climate nowadays, like her character is so infuriating to watch now as that like self-serving, like cult of personality. I want all the attention. I'm doing whatever I can to get this attention. You really feel like she doesn't care about like any of the stuff she's like, it's like political theater to her. It's a, it's the McCarthy trials, but with Superman and she sells it so hard. And the whole time I just wanted to like punch her and i was like that's a good performance when like you want to when you have like a physical reaction against a character and she's just so and it's like it's kind of tough because like lex luther is obviously the villain but like she feels more like a villain to you know in the film because obviously you're rooting for superman so like her doing this whole thing like seems very antagonistic obviously so and like you said she's very intimidating um and very like slinging her power around so yeah it, she just nails that role now this movie it's a huge movie there's a deep cast we don't need to go through every single little name but there's definitely one more we got to mention gal gadot as diana prince slash wonder woman who i think is only called diana prince in this movie but come on we know who she is that's wonder woman uh, it's it, it's interesting that she's in this movie at all and she was in the trailers they didn't keep it like a secret or anything and, of course, casting these days, the internet, everybody knows who is playing who. So as soon as Gal Gadot's on your screen, you know she's cast as Wonder Woman. You know that character is going to be Wonder Woman. But uh, she's uh, – as far as the DCEU superheroes, this might be my favorite casting. I think she's synonymous with the character. She is Wonder Woman to me as far as I'm concerned. This movie, it's a lot more Diana Prince versus Wonder Woman. Um, you being the sexy woman at the party that gets everybody's attention, but she's up to something a little extra, we find out. Uh, it's a great debut for the character. 
Yeah, I think she looks good in the debut here. Obviously, I think her, her solo film is where she really kind of fruitions into the character. But this was, I mean, this was even by detractors stance. She was fantastic. She was one of the one of the best parts of the movie, regardless of how you felt about the movie at large. And yeah, I think it's a great casting. And I think it's a good, it's a good kind of test for what we're going to get from her later. Yeah, I've, she came on the screen and immediately, like, you were completely captivated by her. I mean, she's obviously a gorgeous woman, and but her presence was really, like, you just felt it. As soon as you saw her the first time, you're like, let's follow her. Let's get a camera on this woman. Let's see what she's doing. She's incredible. But I was very, again, like the Jeremy Irons thing, she's in so little of this movie, but you remember so much of her performance that she re- she's only in really four scenes you see her at the library you see her later when she gives the hard drive back to bruce you see her on her laptop and then you see her at the the, at the final fight and that's it and most of those scenes are less than like five or ten seconds of her but she stands out so much and obviously she has the best and this this movie has an incredible orchestral score it really like it's very powerful and i was watching the extent the ultimate the ultimate edition, um, which they actually cut out a lot. Like they cut out the whole Ben Affleck being drunk at the party in the ultimate edition. He doesn't do any of that. Huh? It's, it's very like they cut that scene way down and it flows really well. Um, and, uh, but the, the score is really good. And then of course, when her score comes in, when she's fighting doomsday, oh, yeah. it's like the penultimate so good. part of the movie is her score. And she's like one of the smallest characters in the movie. But, like, she really, like, nails it. And, of course, like, like you said, she really comes in her own in the second movie. I feel like if Ben Affleck had gotten his Batman movie, he would have been, like, the standout of the DCU as well. So it's kind of tough to judge these two versus each other. But, yeah, she's the brightest spot, you know, until a, you know, a future podcast of uh, Wonder Woman 84 comes out. Yeah. <laughs> we'll get there one day. We'll get there. We'll get there. But for now. But yeah, that theme. It yeah, I, I uh, edit myself. The theme rolls. Uh, that just the the guitar. The I can hear it in my head. Yeah, every right it probably sounded better than my voice just now. But every no. time it's played, like it's it gets me like fired up. It it again, you know, it's arguable that she's the best casting in the DCEU. But I think that theme for her. It's better than any of the characters in the DCU. It's just so good. It's one of my favorite superhero themes. In fact, to jump ahead a little bit, we got some messages about this movie on on Twitter. Phil from Missouri slid into our DMs about the movie, and this is this is all he said. He said, "For Batman versus Superman, I believe this movie gave us the incredible Wonder Woman theme. Gets me so pumped up. Still the best theme song for a comic book movie, in my opinion." So his his positive take on this movie. That's all he focused on was. Wonder Woman's theme. This is where it debuts, and it's awesome, and I agree. I love it. It's so good. <laughs> you can't argue that it's yeah, not no. the best part of the movie. Uh, like, you can watch this whole movie, and that that's a solid takeaway, is that the best part is the Wonder Woman theme. It's awesome. So. Well, let's jump into the movie. Let's talk about some other best parts in the movie, the best scenes of the movie, and of course, we're going to start at the high point with our favorite scene of the movie. What I want to know is, when is this movie firing on all cylinders? Andrew, I'm going to start with you. What's your favorite scene in the movie? I actually really like the street-level scene we get towards the beginning with Ben Affleck, basically his 
debut as Bruce Wayne as he deals with the street-level ramifications of Superman's fight with Zod. I think approaching Batman from that perspective, showing him on the ground there, is an excellent way to seed his distrust of Superman, because it's not... When you're, you know, Superman and you're above it all, it's easy to be detached. But for Bruce Wayne, we see that this is a very personal thing. This is not just him hypothetically kind of thinking about what super, somebody like Superman can do. It's witnessing it firsthand and seeing the tragedy firsthand. He sees, you know, his, his, co- his employee Jack, like he's talking to him on the phone. And, or well, I think his name was Jack. But you see, he sees him perish in this. The, the people that he tries to help, the people he tries to save. All of that, I think, is just a really good way that if you're going to do this, it's a good way to establish that Batman is not just, doesn't just hate Superman for no reason. There's an actual warranted justification for him to be like, this is bad, and this could be very troubling. So I like that aspect of it. I like any time we see our superhero being a hero, even when they're not like in costume, like he's just Bruce Wayne, but he's running into this destruction. He's trying to do what he can He's in the thick of it. Yeah. Yeah, totally agree. That scene is incredible. It's a, it doesn't start the movie off, but it's a great way to like introduce the adult Ben Affleck for sure. For sure, yeah, the adult Ben Affleck. <laughs> um, <laughs> the adult Ben Affleck. I, I saw, I think on like on Twitter or Reddit somewhere, someone did like a side by side of the scene in the beginning of this movie where Bruce Wayne is looking up at the building and he sees like their heat vision blast through a building, and the scene from Man of Steel where you're on the inside of that building and Zod and Superman are fighting, and it lines up like the pattern yeah, that the shoots in. Yeah. Pretty yeah. cool little detail. And this movie doesn't point it out. This movie doesn't show the Man of Steel scene, but the fact that they put in that much effort and didn't make it a point to highlight it, like someone on the internet was able to, you know, of course, line it up, figure it out. Very cool attention to detail that I, I super appreciated. Yep. Well, Thompson, how about you? What's your favorite scene in the movie? Um, um, the one that you described was incredible. It's definitely up there for me as well. Um, but since you've already taken it and you already took my March Strong Award winner, I can't <laughs> agree with you every time. We're very simpatico, but I'm going to have to say that the fight scene between um, Ben Affleck and Superman. It's just so well done. The stakes like are huge in that fight. Um, the way that it builds up and that they make you believe that Batman can like overcome with intelligence and detective work and like hard work fight a, a god, basically. And the way they do that. And it has that great ridiculously cheesy great line of uh you're not brave men are brave and like (laughs) it's just such a great moment and then like as soon as he says that like he puts up a hand and superman he blocks superman's punch for the first time superman feels like vulnerable and like a little bit scared and shaken and the batman just starts kicking his butt and then like there's that scene where batman's just like punching him in the face and all of a sudden the kryptonite gas is wearing off and he's not doing any damage and, like, he sees it, and he's like, oh, crap, that didn't last as long as I thought it would. And then he gets sent through, like, four walls with a punch and has to put the stuff in there. Like, it's a constant back and forth of, like, you know, he starts out with the sonic pulsers at the outside and the guns just to kind of throw him off. And, that uh, that just... the, the sound waves, that's my favorite part of the fight, probably. Uh, it, it's all together really good, but, like... On paper, you know, Batman for Superman is for some reason this iconic fight. But when you think about it, Superman is all powerful. Batman is famously just a guy with gadgets. How does it even the fight? So the links that he goes to get the upper hand is is 
very creative, but specifically those sound waves, because what I love about it is that it's raining and you can see the rain get affected by the sound as well. It's such a cool visual to see the rain suddenly go sideways when he starts blasting Superman with all the sounds to disorient him. Uh, I can't imagine how many great. versions of that that they put through to people like me. Like when <laughs> something like that's there, there's like a million times like, oh, well, this, the wind, the rain would be going this way, not that way when it bounces off the thing. Would the rain be, <laughs> would it be bouncing off this or here? And like having to like create these all new things that's never been happened, but then people like have notes on it because they know what it would look like, you know, or whatever. Yeah, it's sure. such a back and forth. And that that all of the visual effects in this movie look stellar for the most part. I'm sure there's people in my you know career that are more picky. Like I don't really try to pick apart visual effects too much, but if I notice it, it's really bad, you know, <laughs> kind of yeah. thing. Um, but that scene had so many great like moments and effects, and it's really fun. I'm reading Invincible right now, the comic, and one of the only he's basically Superman, obviously in the comics, and um, one of his invulnerabilities is um, an oral stimulation, like a a tone to his eardrums because they they fly through space and they use a lot of uh, it, it's like a, a whole balance situation with right. them being able to fly. And so it's very sensitive. And so they figure out that that's one way that they can affect Invincible is with spoilers for the comic of Invincible that came out <laughs> seven, seven years ago. So it was very interesting to see that used in Superman after reading that. I was like, oh, that makes, you know, he still has an equilibrium he has to maintain or whatever. But I love when he like takes his hand, he slices a manhole cover in half and slings him at each side. Yeah. And like every time he does it in the most badass way you could you know, to get out of those traps. It's great. I remember seeing this movie in theaters, which until this week is the only time I've watched this movie all the way through. And I, I, I hashtag positive podcast. I, I just didn't love the movie when I saw it in theaters, but I walked out and I told my friend, I was like, you know what? Batman won the fight. That's pretty cool. <laughs> it was like going into the movie. You know, that's obviously what you think about who's going to win. And you know, everyone knows they're eventually going to team up. They're heroes, but Batman wins that fight and that's you know I'm a Batman guy I've got a I've got a prominent tattoo of my son is named Bruce he's my guy I'm rooting for him and uh he my boy didn't let me down as yeah it's really well done now my favorite scene I can't believe I'm the only one shouting this out because I just mentioned I've only seen this movie once but this scene I've seen numerous times because i've watched it on youtube over and over it's the warehouse fight with batman that is Mm. far and away my favorite scene of this movie it's a great action sequence in a vacuum which is how i watch it on youtube it's it's one of the best batman fights ever put to film it's very reminiscent of the arkham series like video games which is not an insult because that those games are great and what those games are very good at in this scene is showing like the logistics of one man taking out a room full of guys especially a room full of guys with guns because obviously it's not quote realistic but you know if someone was going to do it how would they do it this is how with lots of gadgets and i like that he gets beat up quite a bit he gets shot at he gets shot at point blank he gets a knife stabbed into his shoulder and and i will say you know this batman is a dark gritty batman which maybe isn't my favorite take on batman but it's a take and it's fine and if you're gonna do it i think it's done really well and it's really encapsulated in that scene where he gets up he's pissed off at that guy he pulls the knife out of his shoulder slams the guy against the wall then shoves it into his shoulder 
I, I love that 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 back and forth there. Um, but it's awesome. The scene. And he rad. makes a move after he does that. That looks like he's like I don't know if you guys noticed. That. I was noticed it this time. He stabs the guy in the arm into the wall, and then he goes to like punch him again, and it cuts before he nails it. And it looks like he's punching him right in the groin. <laughs> I don't know. Like, Talk about again, insult like, to injury. It's like he's like he just gives this real pissed off look, and then like does like a really low blow, but it feels like really low. You're like Jesus, Batfleck, come on now. He's been through so, enough. It's when he pulls through that wall and hit, gets that guy with the blowtorch through the wall at the end, or gets the guy with the big LMG. Yeah, it's so good. Yeah, that scene is very visceral. It's awesome. Yeah, and I, yeah, I love that end where he's like, "I'll do it. I'll kill her," and he's like. I believe you. <laughs> and so, okay, does Batman go too far? Does he does he kill people? Yeah, maybe. But you know what? From an action scene standpoint, uh, I think it's super rad. I love it. I've watched it a ton. Uh, still my favorite scene in the movie. I don't get the whole Batman doesn't kill people thing that people tried to latch on to. I think it was the Nolan films when people started to actually like talk like that. Batman kills people all the time. And like even in the Nolan movies, he kills dozens of people with vehicles nonstop. But then when he's fighting, he's like, oh, I'm not going to kill you, but I'll run over your car with my <laughs> roller and blow it up and explode it on a freeway. There's a like, scene in The Dark Knight where he's on the Batpod and he's driving down an alley and there's those kids going pew pew acting like they're shooting and then he goes down and he blows up all the cars and i always think like batman how do you know there's not people in those cars that you're blowing up exactly <laughs> now thompson you said it already the movie doesn't open with that scene of, of bruce wayne going to wayne tower because it opens with a scene that we've seen a few times in film Bruce Wayne's parents getting murdered in the alley. And I, I know this is another point of contention that I hear brought up a lot about this movie. It's like, we get it. We know the story. We don't need to see it again. I get those criticisms, but I'll be honest. I didn't mind seeing it here because at the very least, it's an opening montage. It's playing during the opening credits. It's not like a major scene in the movie. It, it's done again in montage. It's not like the entire scene played out. It's taken care of very quickly. I think the movie knows the audience knows the story so they are able to expedite it a lot and i love the casting of thomas wayne you got jeffrey dean morgan uh obviously buds with Zack snyder from from watchmen and i'll the okay the pearls getting caught on the hammer of the gun okay that's a little silly <laughs> but other than that <laughs> i i really like that scene yeah yeah totally it's like one of my positives that i wrote down for the film was uh they, you're introducing a brand new Batman for the first time. Uh, you know, Ben Affleck is it's his first appearance on screen, and they get through his entire backstory. I've written it down: four minutes and fifty three seconds, and that's that's all you need. Like, hey, look, here's Batman. You know him. You love him. He's coming in. <laughs> yeah. You know, like it's darker. It gets silly when he gets lifted up by the bats by the bat tornado. You yeah. know, and he's kind of floating. <laughs> bat tornado. Yeah. Obviously, it's a little metaphorical. And I don't know if that's in all the editions or just the ultimate edition. No, it's in, gets... the, it's in the okay. theatrical, too. Yeah, yeah. That's my okay. favorite sci-fi movie, Bat Tornado. Bat Tornado, <laughs> yeah. Great. It's not as scary as Sharknado, but, you know, a lot more guano. So. <laughs> Those are our favorite scenes. We also got an email on this movie from Jeff from Minnesota. Now, we read an email from his early in this episode on Man of Steel, but he also wrote in about... BVS. Greetings, my fellow comic and film fanatics. 
the Batman versus Superman film, I enjoyed the film, but it seemed like a combination of two movies. The new DCEU Batman origin story, an expansion of Justice League setups, and a Superman sequel. I must say, the Lex Luthor portrayal from Jesse Eisenberg wins my Mark Strong award. Eisenberg has either lots of practice or a bit of a pigeonholed role as an eccentric, neurotic person, sometimes rich and sometimes not. He takes those portrayals into Lex Luthor from his awkward speech at the gala to the private conversation with the senator foreshadowing the events to come. He has such great mannerisms and his speech cadence screams to his believed intellectual superiority. But a close second for me is Jeremy Irons as Alfred. Look at that. My favorite scene Almost is an, three for three. <laughs> it's two and a half. Mark Strong awards. Uh, <laughs> does he surpass Chris Evans now? Anyway, my favorite scene is an action scene and portends the future of the franchise when Batman, Superman and Wonder Woman team up to defeat Doomsday. It's such great action, teamwork and visuals when they use their seasoned battle styles with their abilities to fight not just individually, but with each other for the first time. Also, they tend to fade in and out the themes of the characters during important or highlighted moments, and I love Man of Steel's music and Wonder Woman's music as well. As do we, Jeff. There are problems with the film, but I do enjoy quite a bit considering its longer runtime. I thought it was interesting they went with the death of Superman plot in this film coinciding with the later years of Batman. Seeing the differences with Batman in this DCEU versus Nolan's Batman was fun, and I thought this film did a good job differentiating the fighting styles and personalities while keeping to the essence of Batman. Enjoy your thoughts and keep making those pods. Jeff from Minnesota. Thank you so much, Jeff, for both of those emails, and don't worry. We're going to keep on making these pods. Thanks for listening. Well, now we've had four different opinions on a favorite scene, and we all picked different scenes. That's usually a good sign. That means a lot to like in the movie. Jeff goes with that final climax versus Doomsday. We can just skip right to that right now. It's very cool to see those three characters teaming up for the first time. I think yeah. you've, got, you've got Batman, Superman, and Wonder Woman. We're all finally on the same page. Um, we do get that kind of cheesy, is she with you? No, I thought she was with you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's like, Batman, you've seen her before already in this movie. I don't you know. You correspond via but, email. Um, yeah. you, you have each other's email addresses. Um, but, uh, but just seeing them together and like having those moments where it's like they're all kind of in sync, kind of almost acting as a team, but just seeing them against, you know, this unstoppable figure doomsday. Like it's, you know, when he says something portends, that's obviously, a, a, you know, we're foreshadowing something here. So obviously we're seeing Justice League kind of form before our eyes. A the, dawn the of dawn. justice, if you will. <laughs> Damn it, yes. um, <laughs> so yeah, I think it's cool seeing all those characters together for the first time. Um, they all look the part. They all look really cool. And yeah, I, I can definitely see that fight as being a highlight for people that are really excited to see this build to more. I really like the way that all the characters differentiate each other uh, from each other. Like Batman is very like... He has to stand back. He has to hide. Like when there's that explosion, he has to run and hide under the stuff. And Superman just stands there and Wonder Woman uses her shield. And then you've got like in the fight sequence, Batman's very like, you know, he's trying to use gadgets to distract. He's running around more or less distraction. Wonder Woman is like having fun. She's back in her element fighting like a big god character. So she's like smiling and laughing and having a good time. And then like uh superman's just has this like importance in his like actions where he like knows the stakes of this are like super high so they all have like different motivations and ways of attacking the situation which makes it a very interesting dynamic i love wonder woman's confidence because superman's like he's from another world she's like i've 
fought thanks from other worlds before. I guess it's fine. I got this. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, that shot of the Trinity, as they're known, the three main characters of DC, it holds that shot for a long time because it knows like this is something special. And just on a base level, regardless of what you think about the movie, it's cool to have those three characters on screen doing superhero poses it's, at the same it's time. Like that, it's like that pan in Avengers where the team is all standing together yeah. for the first time. Mm-hmm. We're meant to invoke that, obviously. It's like you got your big three here. We're all ready, and we're going to fight Doomsday, which is another one that Warner Brothers has wanted for a long time. You know they've been talking about, like, they, beyond, even before Batman Superman, Warner Brothers has wanted a Death of Superman movie. Pretty much ever since the comic happened, Warner Brothers has wanted that in a movie. So now they went two for one, and they put them both into the same movie. <laughs> it's a weird way to lead into a Justice Mo- League it is. Uh, team up by killing the main character yeah, of the Justice League. Superman, yeah. <laughs> it's a bit of an odd move. We but, have to form you know. the Justice League. By killing its main by, member. By getting rid of Superman. Um, yeah. I wonder yeah. if we'll ever see him again. It, it's also a bit funny that you've got that shot of the three of them, and it's iconic, but like in that shot, Batman has a giant gun. <laughs> like, yeah, the one. like not at all what he's known for. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I don't think we can talk about positives of this movie without mentioning um, you can put piss in a jar and label it Grandma's Peach Tea. <laughs> but I'm not going to drink it. Like you, That is like my favorite part of this whole movie. It has, it's not a scene or anything. It's just a dumb little throwaway yeah. joke. But when she like turns that jar and it's full of piss oh, yeah. and it says Grandma's Peach Tea and she looks up and realizes they're all about to die. I just love that moment. She, she and sells it's such that a, moment so well. She sells it so good. Yeah, like she the can't fear even get the words face. out. Yeah. And like... It's just so like it's just such a dumb little joke and nod, and I just love like it's so like that made me love Lex Luthor as a villain was that he did that. So know? that's actually it's pee in the a... jar. We're all on the same page. Like we think he actually peed. Oh, it's clear. In the jar. Well, because she said you can piss in a jar and label it Granny's. Yeah, but he didn't have to actually do it. it. He could have fit. I wanted her to take there. a sip of it. You <laughs> know? I wanted her like no. take a sip. I wanted her to sip it and then realize slowly what it was and then look at the label. The second time I was watching, I was like, she didn't drink it. I had to rewind it to see that she didn't drink it because I thought that she did. That was so clear. That would have that would have changed the rating and the classification of this movie <laughs> in all video stores. So we have yeah. to avoid that. She, uh, do sure. you think she could like smell it there? Like, she, like someone yeah. making popcorn? Yeah, like, I think that's what they're like. Guys, we're dedicating too much time to piss. <laughs> <laughs> it's just a great joke. I love it. Yeah. For, for as much as we've said over and over again, this is a different take on Superman. The Batman's not too far off. It's a, it's, I mean, it's a specific take on Batman, but there's a lot of different ways you can do the character. There's a lighthearted Batman. There's a dark Batman. There's a goody Batman. So it's certainly on the darker side, but there's nothing about the character that is like, sl- you know, slapping the source material in the face, if you will. Um, it's one thing I do appreciate is, you know, Affleck has the 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 Batman voice, which. It's like uh, Batman's always had that voice, but ever since like Christian Bale's turn, it's almost become like its own thing. And what I like about this movie, one thing I'll give this movie up on, on, you know, gets above Christopher Nolan's movies is that in the Nolan movies and Batman begins, Christian Bale as Batman is just deepening his voice. Like it's just Christian Bale playing a voice. And then in dark Knight, they start manipulating his voice like in post. And it's like a, you know, it's electronically altered or whatever, but they never explicitly say that in the movie. And it kind of became like this joke because he'll be dressed in Batman and he'll just have like, not talking to criminals, have like, you know, normal conversation, but it's got this deep gravelly voice coming out because it's being altered. 
this movie goes as far to show like there's a microphone that's in his suit and Jeremy Irons is like playing with it at one point and yeah. he puts it on and he does the voice. So it's like showing us very explicitly how this voice is coming out and that it's a microphone and I I appreciated that little touch. No, I agree. Bat, I like that. Bat gadgets are awesome. So anytime they you can are. throw in a new bat gadget, I'm sold for sure. Also, Batmobile in this movie, highly underrated. Loved it. So much fun. It was just in that one scene, but the design was gorgeous and it was like terrifying and visceral. I enjoyed it. It's definitely like kind of a bridge between a classic Batmobile and the Tumblr. Uh, again, I love the Dolan movies, but I, I never came around on the Tumblr. It's fine. It's functional. I get what he's going for, but it never, I never looked at it and thought that's the Batmobile. And so this one is still kind of, you know, uh, kind of like military, uh, like that one. Um, but it's got a little bit more style, you know, it, it looks a little bit more like a prototype car. I, I think Keaton's is probably still King in my opinion, but this one's oh, still yeah. pretty, this one's pretty good. Yeah. For sure. Pretty cool. I really like uh, as much as you can like dislike a lot of Zack Snyder's stuff. And as he got on and on, like it became he became kind of one notish or whatever. But there's one thing that you can't really take away from Snyder movies is that he respects the source materials. And there's so many little references and like thing uh, thrown throughout, like the Killing Joke thing with Robin's. Uh, suit and that and then when you're in the warehouse where he's fighting superman and there's the riddler question mark and like just little hints of like other um batman comics and references throughout the movie um i'm sure there's a million that i missed because i'm not like i'm more of a image comics guy than a, a marvel or dc guy um but there's so many little references in there to other incredibly important batman stories and villains and heroes and stuff uh that and he does that uh, man of steel as well like you guys talked about with guardian um call sign in there and so i think he's really good at bringing in that stuff watchman obviously was like a page by page remake yeah totally missed the point of the comic but he (laughs) page by page made it (laughs) and it was really beautiful and it was really like in his mind respectful of the source material um, Alan Moore would obviously disagree, but just like all of those little notes led to like filling out the Batman character in the background for those of us that have enjoyed like Batman comics and Batman as a character over the years. So I think he did a really good job of making me believe that he likes Batman and respects Batman, you know? So. Yeah, it definitely makes the world feel bigger. Like obviously we're, we, it helps make a, it helps this feel like this is a lived in Batman. Like, we're not just watching, because it'd be easy to just drop Ben Affleck and say, oh, it's been Batman forever, but have it never really feel that way by, by putting in these little nods and hints and the Robin suit and things like that. You can see from the context that it's not just saying this is a weary Batman who's been around the block. You can feel it, too. You see it. So, yeah, that's a nice touch that definitely helps it feel like a bigger universe i love that batman is like this is this urban legend like everyone knows he exists but he's still like a a mystery and a big deal there's that scene where the cops are uh arriving on the scene where batman has saved those women who were possibly being they're being held captive for whatever reason and uh they, they walk in on batman torturing that guy and branding him and then that rookie cop looks up and he sees Batman like on the wall. And then Batman escapes through the ceiling and the other cop shows up. He's like, I saw him. I saw him. I never thought I would see him, but I saw him. 
and they always call him the Batman. Like he's like a yeah, like a like I said, almost like a mythical character. And I I like that. I like that you know criminals are often scared of him, and he's you know, the whole point of putting on the Batman persona is to create a larger than life character, and he's obviously done that in this world. Yeah. And the the as cheesy and horrible as the pose Batman is giving when the cop shines the flashlight at him. It's kind of I weird. I love it? that scene. He's just like sitting there, like you know, like like your friend who watched The Crow too many times. You know, he's just like <laughs> perching up in the corner, and um, he's just like. But he is. I do love that, like the whole mythos behind. It. And the other when he shoots at the other guy, he's like, "How about you not shoot the bag, the good guys?" So like the cop, some cops obviously recognize him as like a good guy, and some cops don't understand or whatever. So like. It gives you like a interesting look into the dynamic of Gotham cops and stuff. And then when he's talking to um, when Clark Kent goes to interview the lady who was speaking out against him, and then he finds out about Batman in the area, and one person tells him to be scared at dark because of Batman, and then the other lady's like, "You don't have to be scared of of him if you're a good guy." You know, like right. it really shows like a the the community's like torn on it, but a lot of people respect him or like him or at least understand what he's doing, you know, and a lot of people are still like, I, I don't want to meet him face to face, you know, and find out. So this movie, and I, I'm curious how often Zack Snyder has done this, but in man of steel, there was a wild helm scream and they do it again in this movie. When Batman, uh, when the Batman builds on the docks and he crashes into a car and it flips, there's a wild helm scream. And it's, it's, it's always funny, but I don't know if that's really the time. It's supposed to be laughing at a scream. I'm curious if this is like a Zack Snyder. Th- I know a lot of people use the wild helm scream, but that's two movies now where, uh, where he's done it. That's the scene where, uh, he finally meets up with Superman and he comes around the corner and Superman's just standing there and he hits him, and like hitting Superman, the Batmobile causes him to spin out and crash. Super cool. I love that scene. Yeah. So good. Um, and Batman like rips the door off, and he's like gull winging the doors with his hands. You know, you know, a car that has doors that go like this. Yeah. He rips them off. It uh, <laughs> it's a great scene. But yeah, the Wilhelm scream is uh, it's so like it's just always in everything. So like. Yeah. It's funny, in mine, I do a lot of blood work, where, like, when somebody gets shot, I put blood in there, because squibs are not extremely... Well, you don't use squibs very much anymore, I know people complain about it, but there's lots of good reasons not to, um, for a lot of reasons, uh, and if you watch a lot of stuff, squibs look really bad a lot of times, too, so we don't miss those as much, but I do a lot of blood work, and there's, like, a very famous package of blood that, like, almost every studio uses and has their own thing. It's called Action Essentials. And it's, like, a very, like, common, like, almost every studio I've worked at has those. And so, like, you recognize the Wilhelm screen, but I recognize, like, blood splatters all the time. I'm like, oh, that's Action Essentials, you know, blood spurt 802. You know, like, it's really funny, like, coming from the other side of it, seeing, like, so much, like, that you recognize in that way. That's pretty funny. Awesome. Now... You you worked this movie, like you mentioned. What are some of the scenes that you specifically worked on, and do you have any uh, any juicy behind the scene tidbits or anything that maybe the oh, general audience doesn't know? Everybody's favorite scenes in the movies, you know. Um, we did um, the laptop scene where Diana Prince is looking. I specifically did the laptop scene where Diana Prince is looking at the metahumans. Um, okay, on so her, these are the know, files in, in bed drinking wine. <laughs> the and files we they stole putting... from Lex Luthor. Yes, right. the yeah. files that uh, stolen from Lex Luthor with uh, Aquaman and the Flash and Cyborg uh, 
footage of them that Lex had stolen. And when we were making that scene, we're like, oh my God, people are going to go nuts when they see this. It's inc- they get to see the Justice League for the first time. And they did, just not in the way we thought they would. So right. it was a very interesting, like, we thought this was going to be like the big scene of the movie. You know, like, look at Aquaman. He does this. And even when we were doing it, the thrust that he does looks so cheesy. It's so bad. <laughs> we hate, like, the whole time we're like, oh my God, this looks awful. But the rest of it, we thought just the introduction of those characters were great. And then, um, the scene where Ben Affleck's decrypting those files and he like falls asleep and the flash comes back to tell him about Lois Lane, which we all know pays off sometime. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah. But like <laughs> when he wakes up, like there's papers flying behind his head and we put those in last second. They were like, Oh, can we like have some papers flying off? So people don't know if it was real or fake or dream or whatnot. Give more of that ambiguity. And of course we all know everybody loved that scene. Um, as well, so you know, I thought um, the visual effects work in the scenes were fantastic. So, good, oh, they were great day. monitor comps, amazing. <laughs> um, the corners hit every corner right on time. Um, the people that did the UI did really amazing work on that. I do the compositing, which is putting the screens into the shots. Um, anytime you see a computer screen or a phone, that's 95 98% of those are someone like me tracking it in with the motion and like integrating it in and doing animation and all of that. Um, most um operating systems are copyrighted so movies have to create their own operating systems most of the time so companies like the one i was working at was known for doing that we worked on like winter soldier worked on dread stuff like that um around that time so like you know they do a lot of these things but they're just mainly known for that and they do um title sequences as well so they did a lot of famous title sequences but um they uh yeah i did those two scenes and that did all the the scenes where they were uh, people interviewing on um, news channels and you need like lower thirds and green screening out like Neil deGrasse Tyson and Nancy Grace and those people during those segments um, putting Superman on the TV screen. Anytime there's Superman footage on the TV screen, usually that was one of us putting it on the TV screen as well. So like when Diane Lane's watching Congress and all of that stuff. Sure. So so when you're working on a movie this this big, I mean, there's obviously tons of special special effect shots and you guys get a handful of them to work on. Do you only get to learn about the scenes you're working on? Do you have context for the scenes you're working on? Or is it like, oh, this is the shot. This is what we need. Don't ask any questions. We don't even get the audio. Really? Get, like literally just the frames of the movie that are wow. for the exact scenes we're working on. Sometimes we, uh, when we're working on these scenes, we only get the exact frames that we're working on. And sometimes we get like eight to 12 frames on each side, which is called handles. So that's one third to a half second on each side of the shot that we get that um, shows that for our end just shows extensions of the cut. But when we look at the reference, we'll sometimes show like half a second of the previous shot and half a second of the next shot. And if there's something that we need for context, we can request that usually. But I don't get audio. I don't get um, any surrounding footage Um, for smaller movies that where like what I'm working now, we do like medium budget films um we do some small work on uh, uh movies but for the most part we do tv and medium-sized films um we work on like discovery uh star trek discovery is one of our big ones that our place that we worked on like season one and two of um but we we get like the scripts a lot of times when we're bidding out the shots so like the scripts uh the producers will see scripts and whatnot to do that but with the larger movies what they do is everything is farmed out to so many different um, right. 
studios that most of the ones I've worked at are very smaller studios. So they're getting like just a tiny percentage of the stuff. So like we wouldn't see the bids on that stuff. So we wouldn't have the scripts. But larger companies like NPC Montreal or um, like DD, you know, Vancouver, whatever, they would have like all of that stuff because they're working pre-visually with the company to establish those shots and to like figure out like how they need to shoot them, how they need to set them up so that we can knock them down later after the shooting's done. So they get much more context at that higher end level. Um, the closer you are to the shooting, the more of the principle you are, the more information you get. But as an artist, you typically don't see anything but like your frames, you know, and that's all I get. Like so, I don't get any sort of context. So you're working on the shot. You're like, wow, this is footage of the actual Justice League. And then you don't see the completed thing until you see the movie in theaters along with everybody else. Right. I had no context for like, when what like, part oh, of that movie that was going to be. Wonder Woman just saw it on a laptop. <laughs> like, that's how yeah. they were this in. <laughs> well, I mean, I put it on the laptop, but well, I didn't know it was like three was quarters yeah, of the way through the know. movie yeah. right before the big fight. Like, I didn't have any context of when you sure. were. I, I imagine that was going to be around the halfway mark, you know? I, I didn't think it was going to be so characters. late in the movie. Right. Yeah, it's like. Diana Lane, you know, like it's just a uh, Diana Prince seeing this shouldn't be like a they made it much more of an afterthought, you know, than we expected when we were doing the work, you know. So, yeah, we get no context, like which is tough sometimes when you're working on something that you really enjoy. Like, I worked on True Detective season one before nice. anybody knew oh, it was wow. going to be a big hit. Yeah. I did that last scene in True Detective where he's stabbed in the stomach and the camera's panning up, and I had to remove like dolly tracks and stuff like that from where they had set up for the shoot. So, uh, which is 90% of what my job is, is to like clean up stuff on set. Right. So like I saw the ending of that show before the first episode aired and then I was like <laughs> glued to it the whole time. I was like, Oh, when does he get stabbed? And I was like, Oh, the last episode, <laughs> you know, I worked on like some of the one shot scene in that show where like they do the one shot through the drug den or whatever. Yeah. And I did like, at the end there's a helicopter shot and I did a lot of cleanup on the helicopter shot there and stuff. So. But we don't get context. We don't know when yeah. stuff, you know, we'll know like an episode number if it's a TV show, but we don't know why or what. And it doesn't matter for the most part, unless if it does, they can give us more context most of the time. Well, Thompson, thank you so much for sharing some of your expertise on this movie and some of the stuff you get to work on behind the scenes. Super cool. Anything you want to tell the people, anything you want to plug, where can they find you if they want to uh, see you some more? Yeah, no, thanks for having me on. It, it was a blast. I love talking movies. So um, it was a great time hanging out with you guys. Uh, anytime you do something superhero related that you want a little bit of backstory to, let me know. Um, yeah, if people want to catch me, I stream on Twitch most nights. Uh, Twitch.com slash LazyCon, L-A-Z-Y-C-O-N. Um, I'm on Twitter under the same name. So if you want to hit me up on there, I'm always streaming usually like variety games, Minecraft, um, a lot of times because I got addicted to that over COVID because I'm a moron <laughs> and decided to play Minecraft for the first time at age 40, like you do. Yeah, so, um, yeah, well, just chill community. You guys, you know, I hang out with, you know, MinMax and all those guys all the time as well, like in the Discord. So, you know, you'll see me around in those communities. But yeah, find me on uh, Twitch. Thanks again, man. We really appreciate it. I'll throw a link in the description uh so go check out LazyCon online and yeah thanks again for being here yeah for sure thanks for having me guys it was a blast well andrew that's bvs it's finally here we talked about it it's done you know i, I not to speak for you but i think we're similar you know it's not certainly our favorite superhero movie i, I will admit revisiting it 
I did find more positives than I initially thought were there. Definitely just going in with this perspective that we have for this show, I was able to uh, find a few more things to appreciate. And the warehouse scene still rules. That's always fun to go back and watch. You know, obviously, uh, like we, there's people that are very passionate about this movie. You know what? Jeff's email uh, certainly proves that. And I, yep. I don't watch this movie. I'm not like dumbfounded that people like it. Like you're watching right. superheroes fight. You're watching this epic story play out. I totally get that it works for some people, and it's mm-hmm. it doesn't surprise me. Yeah, like like Thompson, his favorite part is the titular fight. Yeah, and yeah, thanks so much for Thompson for being on. That was a lot of fun. Look forward to more guests up in the future. If there's anybody out there that you would like to hear on our show, let us know, and we will reach out to them. Or you know what? Let them know. I say, hey. Check out this podcast. I think you would like speaking with these guys. We uh, certainly would enjoy having them on. Yeah, definitely. Send them our way. Send us their way. Please do. And please leave us a review on Apple Podcast. It helps so much with the algorithm, helps our show get discovered. And we just like hearing the nice things. And whatever you write in that review, you can bet we are going to read it here on the episode. I'm still keeping an eye out for international reviews so far. They've only been from the U.S., but we know we've got listeners out there. I see you in Germany and France. Ethiopia listeners still going strong. I see you. Uh, China, leave a review if English is not your first language. Leave it whatever language you're comfortable in. I will read it how you write it. And remember, maybe not every movie is great. But all movies have greatness. Thank you to Mark Benavides for singing our theme song. Follow him on Instagram at NotThatMarkAnthony. Thanks to Mitch of Depressed to Impress for the music. Check him out on YouTube and Twitch.tv. Thanks once more to Thompson Conradi. Check our episode description for where you can find him on social media. And follow us everywhere at BOTRCast. Thank you. stabbed in the stomach and the camera's panning up and I'm glad you guys edit um (laughs)